You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is my interview with the writer and director for Promising Young Woman, Emerald Fennell, and the star of the film, Carrie Mulligan. My assistant tells me that you're interested in resuming med school. I left under unusual circumstances. Huh. You remember the accusations made against Alexander Monroe? I don't. He took a girl back to his room. You know, we get accusations like this all the time. So it's a he said, she said situation. What would you have me do? Ruin a young man's life? <laughs> Was it reported? Yes. Do you know who she spoke to? You. Well, a doctor's here. It's every guy's worst nightmare getting accused like that. Really? <laughs> Can you guess what every woman's worst nightmare is? <laughs> what do you want? You seem nervous. No use hiding from the piper. She has to be paid. Why do you guys have to ruin everything? (laughs) It's a day of reckoning. For everyone. I was just telling Carrie I could not be more excited to be talking to the both of you right now because uh, this is by far my favorite movie of the year and it's been my favorite film since I saw it at the world premiere at Sundance and it never left that number one slot. And as we all know, this has been an amazing year for film. So this is just such a thrill for me. So thank you. So so you were there in Sundance. Oh yes, I was. Absolutely. Last time we were around human beings. Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) It's been a hell of a year in that regard, a terrible one at times for sure. But I mean, the quality of cinema is still like, you know, pushing on through at the end of the day, which is very, very nice to see. All right. So I'd like to uh, just like formally get us started here. First, starting off actually with Emerald Fennell, uh, the writer, director of this movie, this really, really incredible movie. Uh, Your screenplay is one of the best screenplays that I've personally like come across over the last, I'm not even going to say this year, I'll say the last decade. Um, how did you develop it? Was it something that was driven by theme, plot, or the character of Cassandra Thomas? And then you started to build everything else around her. I'm really curious to know where it all started. That's incredibly kind of you to say. Thank you. Um, yeah, I've never, ever been able to write to a theme uh, or a kind of political concept. I, I think that, generally speaking, what happens is a moment will come to mind and then things kind of build from there so I think of it a bit like being metal filings or something and magnets so I'll have a few little magnets and then all the filings will sort of gather around it Mm -hmm. and I tend to do that in my head completely listening to music so for Promising a Woman I just had a you know um, I made a playlist that I just listened to for years just kind of till it was you know, almost hypnotic and yeah, and sort of wrote it in my head. And then, you know, finally, 
I was ready to write it, I think, in kind of 2018. Um, but yeah, that was kind of how it worked. Yeah. No, I mean, and the music in this movie is incredible. Uh, question for both of you, because the soundtrack has just been so lauded by everybody. Uh, what are your favorite needle drops in the movie? Um, I mean, for me, it's it's going to be hard to better Paris Hilton stars blind. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Or, uh, was it always stars are blind? Was there ever another track that was supposed to be there? It was always Stars Are Blind um, because it, it just seemed to me the perfect song that if a man knew every word to it, I would fall more in love with him. <laughs> you know, you're never going to be like, mm, that guy who knows every Limp biscuit, yeah. you know, really <laughs> pulling my chain, you know. Uh, so, so yeah, it had to be Paris. Amazing. Uh well, it's 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 funny because I've been I saw it you know I saw like a, a screener link a week before Sundance and then I saw it in Sundance the same screening you were at and that's it and I so I haven't I don't feel like I know the film as an audience member but the what the I mean I it's it's funny because my brother saw the film the other day and my mum was sat next to him um, and she said he was sort of pumping the air at the end during the Juice Newton song. Um, <laughs> You know, in that closing scene, and he was just so psyched. And I feel similarly. I just, I've listened to that song so many times now because of that feeling that you get watching the end of the film and how brilliantly put together that whole sequence is. And the song is just perfect. Um, and it's a genius song. So that one, I guess, is my new favorite. But there's so many. I mean, that the drinks uh, song by Sin. I think mm. it's just she's just extraordinary. I just love her. So that's I love that song. Absolutely, uh, Cassie in particular as a character, is such a well-developed character on the page, uh, Carrie. Uh, what would you say, in terms of bringing her to life on the page to the screen, was the most exciting uh, but also maybe challenging part for you as an actress? Because, I, I, you know, Cassandra has to show people different sides of herself depending on who she's interacting with in almost every single scene of this movie. So I'm just curious to know how it read for you on the page and then your collaboration with an um, Emerald in terms of bringing her to life. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think it's one of the best scripts I've ever read. Um, and uh, I, I and that feeling reading it for the first time was just crazy. And, and, I, and I was so excited. And I think when you get great writing like that, there's a certain pressure to do it justice. And there were, there were bits of the script where I was like, gosh, that is killer writing and mm -hmm. I just get it get the feeling that you get when you read the script and um so but I think what was great is that you know Emerald and I were very close in the way that we talked about the character from the beginning you know we didn't make any kind of real massive decisions um I just think you know I understood by the materials that Emerald shared the music the production design you know costume and makeup references you know, I understood the wit of it and the humour um, and that we weren't going for um, perhaps what I tend to do more of sort of gritty drama stuff. <laughs> that this was going to be gritty. It was going to be, you know, it was going to look a certain way and feel a certain way. Um, but that was never going to take away from the truth of it and that actually the story would, you know, and the people needed to feel very real. Um, so it was just a lot of us chatting, really. Yeah. Chatting you know, all the way up to starting shooting and then during the shoot and in between takes and at the end of the day. And, you know, so it was just the, yeah, it felt like um, 
I had so much faith in Emerald that, you know, my job was made a lot easier. Sure. No, I, I can completely tell. And Emerald, you know, this movie is such an example of postmodernism and cinema. I, I would have faith in you if I was working with you and I've never acted before in my life. Um, <laughs> a genuine love for movies, like really just oozes out of every single scene in this film from the cinematography to the editing, the production design, the costumes. It feels like every frame is just so incredibly well thought out with a central vision in mind. Can you talk about that vision and maybe also any films or filmmakers who served as inspiration for your approach to this film being, oh yeah, uh, I just want to mention your directorial feature debut nonetheless. <laughs> um, oh, thank you. I Yes, I think everything you say, for me, I love films. I just have loved them forever. And and I think that also I and Carrie and everyone who made this film, like making things, I think I um, always appreciate things that are cinematic. I would rather, you know, I would rather watch Night of the Hunter, for example, which we you know, reference in the movie a couple mm-hmm. of times and which is, I think, probably the most frightening film ever made, mm. but also one that is unbelievably um, stiff and um, static and clearly shot in studio and airless. You know, there's that brilliant sense of nothing moves, nothing, no trees moves. It's still, still, still. Um, and that, I think, is just exceptional filmmaking because you can be metaphorical and you can be allegorical you can also be incredibly honest especially if you've got someone like Carrie who's just a complete and utter genius mm-hmm. you can you can have both things you can have something that feels very real and personal but also uh I don't know kind of speaks to you in a more um I don't know subconscious way that, mm-hmm. that you can do with music you can do with visuals and and so for me I guess the thing about this film it it sort of necessarily kind of there's an ebb and flow and there's a there are different sort of genre kind of moments and all of that and so it needed to feel crafted it needed you know the audience needed to come in and say even if you're going to be surprised or upset or unsettled or you're not going to like something you need to know that it is a very deliberate everything here like Cassie's journey is a very deliberate specific choice And apart from the fact that that's the stuff I love and getting to work with, you know, Nancy Steiner and Michael Perry and Ben Kraken and Angie Wells and all these incredible people, it just, if, if you've got very little time and money, which we didn't, it says so much. You know, what Cassie's, the, the photographs around Cassie's table um, in her bedroom, the, the colour of each nail... Um, the scrunchie that holds together her book. These things communicate so much about character mm-hmm. that for me, not to be kind of insanely megalomaniacal about detail <laughs> means you've lost so much richness, I think, mm-hmm. for me anyway. Yeah, I, I think that that all that richness that you're talking about bleeds through. I actually have a very specific question in regards to detail. Um, can you tell us what the marks in the notebook represent because that has been that's one of those things in the movie that's never necessarily explained and if you don't want to explain it that's fine i I just want to know from my own curiosity (laughs) um no i can't Ah! i think the thing is the truth is is that i know but i think Mm -hmm. that it doesn't really in a funny way it doesn't really matter 
Sure. Because whatever it is, we know where she is now and we know what she's kind of, where she's headed. So I think it's, I think it's important that that is, it's deliberately ambiguous, I think. Don't you know that you're a grown-up? I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. All right, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? I've never done it. (laughs) Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. You definitely play around with, uh, no, it's please. It's totally (laughs) fine. Um, because it leads into my next question, which is playing around with audience expectation. I also think the marketing for this movie, uh, did an interesting job in luring people into believing that Cassie is maybe doing one thing to these men. And then they maybe get lured into, into the movie and realize, Oh no, she's doing something more psychological, uh, to them. And, it's a different kind of revenge film than we are used to seeing. And I guess really, I want to know, like, how much of a say did you have on that in regards to obviously during the making of the movie, but maybe in terms of uh, how the movie was being marketed and sold to people, because I've heard from a number of people, I went in expecting one thing and I came out of getting something else. And my God, it was better than I expected. Well, you know, Focus, who are the distributors and who have been in charge of all the marketing are, I have to say, just exceptional partners. And I love them. They've been they've just been amazing at every stage. Mm. It's interesting with things like that, because, of course, up, up to a point, it's really collaborative. They've always really listened. And um, and particularly if I feel very strongly about anything, they really, really, really um, heed that. Nice. But at the same time, I understand it's not my if if it were up to me, everyone would see Promising Young Woman in a blackout with no idea of anything about it. Yeah. You know, that is the dream scenario. Um, obviously, that's impossible, particularly now when we don't even have, you know, really, we don't have movie theaters for people to go and see and talk about to their friends. And so um, which is why the Sundance screening was so special, by the way, because yeah. afterwards getting that piece of paper saying, you now know the secret, don't reveal it to anyone. I was like oh how am I going to go without talking about this movie and I remember thinking oh I have until April March like I'll be able to <laughs> it's only till April yeah. I, I mean I know it's been but I think it's complicated with promising a woman really because the more you reveal in a funny way the less impactful it is and mm-hmm. so it's quite I can see I can understand completely why focus chose the the elements of the movie that they did. Mm-hmm. 
I can understand if the, if people are expecting a more straightforward revenge thriller, then they might be surprised. I hope though that they'd still be satisfied because really, I love that genre. But I think this is a kind of, you know, slightly acerbic um, subversion of it, and also mm-hmm. one that kind of really importantly for me anyway is like is honest about how women. I think how a particular woman and women in general behave when it comes to this stuff and about revenge in general and the fact that it's, you know, futile, really. And sure. it sort of eats itself and it eats the person who's doing it. And I mean, that's difficult sell, isn't it? It's sort of like saying, you want a sexy revenge thriller? Or do you want to come to a film about how revenge is futile? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it is, it's going to, uh, I, I think that Focus did an amazing job. I can, I, I think, I think they they got it. They got they got that at, there are moments in this film necessarily that are a bait and switch, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Whether or not, I, I don't know how else, honestly, we discussed at the time, sorry, I'm t- talking too much. No, I'll sort of pass over to Kerry in a second. Um, but at one point we start, we said, let's do three trailers and we'll do the horror trailer and we'll do the, romantic comedy trailer and we'll do the thriller trailer and we'll do different posters and we'll just market them all you know and as this but of course that's just impossible reality it's too confusing nobody knows what's going on and Mm. um but yeah it's I, i don't having written and made it when people ask me how to do they're like do a pithy i mean carrie i asked carrie to leave a zoom last night because they were like just do a pithy couple of sentences about what this film is. And I was like, <laughs> okay, well. <laughs> That's the worst. I can't. So I can't. Yeah. So How much time do you I have? Think, <laughs> I know. So that's like, the trouble is like, well, I, if I can't really very, I, you know, it took me two hours in the film to sort of express even remotely how I feel. So I, yeah. I don't, that is a very rambling answer of yes. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> Carrie, um, what was it like for you reading the ending to Promise a Young Woman, knowing, you know, what like what Emerald Fennell just said in terms of subverting the genre? I I I, I want to be consciously aware of spoilers if we can, but at the same time, I really am very genuinely curious to know from your point of view, what was your initial reaction to reading it? Because I think it's one of the boldest endings to a movie I've seen in quite some time. Yeah. Um, I mean, it is it's a tricky one to talk about without spoilers, but I was as with everything with this script, I wasn't expecting it. And and that's what I loved so much about it. I think, you know, I'm, you just get very used to reading scripts where within the first 20 pages, you kind of know what the film is. And mm. um, and with this, I just didn't. I just kept on being thrown off course. And that goes all the way to the end. Um, so I was shocked by the ending. Um, but it felt honest. And I think that's what was so attractive about the script is that there is there's so much to play there's you know it's funny and it's it's really touching and it's scary um and and of course when you're in it you know your surroundings are kind of stylized and but it all of those characters felt so truthful and particularly um you know once we'd sort of talked about Cassie understanding where this was all coming from it just felt so real that somebody might do, you know, go to these lengths on behalf of their friend that it felt, you know, 
that they would commit their life to sort of avenging their friend I think felt very honest so I I felt that way about the ending too it just felt like exactly you know the right ending not the ending we want and of course I wanted a sequel so you know (laughs) a prequel a prequel yes there you go (laughs) find Um, out what those marks are for oh yeah (laughs) there you go (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure that you've had some people uh, come to you and express dissatisfaction with the ending. Uh, I know I have, and like I've, I've been trying to tell people, well, listen, just because something doesn't make you feel good doesn't mean that it's bad. I think that honesty that you're speaking to is something that permeates its way through the entire movie. And the truth, the truth hurts. And I think this movie doesn't pull any punches in regards to that, but what, what would you say, or have you had any interaction with people who, uh, whether they're survivors or whatever it might be that have said like, this, this hit too close, this, this hurt. I, I, I could, I couldn't get on board with this. Well, actually, you know, people in general have been incredibly, um, positive in general, but also, um, kind of open to talking about I think the thing is is that people usually want to talk about it mm-hmm. they don't necessarily want to if, if they didn't like the ending they want to talk about why or they want to talk about you know wh- you know why the decision was made all of that sort of thing but it's very rarely certainly to my face anyway and I don't go looking for this stuff but it's very rarely like I hated this <laughs> you're a monster why would you do this but I but I think the thing is is that we have to be this is the thing about films is that they're not theses, they're not um, political statements, they're not articles, they're not, um, they are little worlds and Mm -hmm. they can't, unfortunately, they can't um, reflect everyone's world. All you can do is hope to make something that feels very true to you and that reflects your world and your experience to some degree and hope that other people understand that, or if they don't understand it, they can kind of see why. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, we we tend in general to be very like divisive, I think about things. And so particularly with a film like this, where I think for me, certainly, I don't, you know, I don't have any answers. I have thought about this incredibly deeply. I have, you know, lived in this story for, for a very, very long time. But that's not to say I'm an expert on the politics around it, that mm-hmm. I'm an expert on, you know, uh, on sexual assault any any more than I would say sort of most women are. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I've tried to be quite pragmatic about it and also very kind of, I sympathise, I obviously sympathise enormously for people. If, if they find it troubling or triggering, then I, then I feel very sad obviously um we have protected as much as we can mm-hmm. uh and we've been quite clear about what this sort of film is but certainly you know for me violence against women is something in every movie all the time it's constant mm-hmm. it's paraded in front of us every tv show you know crime series that show real photographs real women dead on their in their kitchens you know like we're so used to it, but but when you show something, yeah, when you, when when it's interesting that this film has been so troubling to people, mm-hmm. when actually it's much less disturbing to me than than a, a regular revenge movie, which has a lot of um, eye gouging and throat slitting. 
Yeah. <laughs> no, and I, I think a lot of that has to do with the deep connection that we as an audience have to Cassandra uh, Cassie in this movie. Um, I know I'm running a little low on time here, but I'm like kind of like shocked that I haven't mentioned uh, any one of Cassandra's outfits. I haven't talked about <laughs> Bo Burnham. Uh, the score by Anthony Willis that sounds like it's evoking the work of Bernard Herrmann. I don't know, but that's what it sounds like to me, at least. Um, Carrie, uh, really quick, could you talk about what it was like working with uh, Bo Burnham, who has this very natural comedic persona? Because you can tell that there are some moments in the film that maybe were improvised by him or just heavily... uh, influenced by who he is as a person and what it was like uh, working with him on a daily basis. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we, um, I speak for both of us now, Emerald and I love Bo. (laughs) 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 From the moment we met him, you know, and and we, you know, we did a sort of chemistry and read the first scene together, you know, he walked out the door and we were both just sort of madly in love. Um, He's just the kindest, most genuine, loveliest person so working with him is a delight but acting uh with him is just so surprising and I and I felt like I never knew what was going to happen um (laughs) but everything felt completely honest and truthful but also hilarious um and it's just I think he was just I think so much of that part of Cassie's character and personality was informed by the way that he played Ryan Mm -hmm. um as I said, we didn't go in with a bunch of like performance decisions at all. It was all very kind of collaborative and fluid. But when he was introduced into the mix, there was just so much about Bo um, that changed that holder. And, it, and I don't, yeah, I can't imagine. I just, it would just be madness for anybody else to have done it. It's just so hard to picture. Um, but yeah, he was, he was just brilliant. And it was, it was great because the majority of the stuff with him was so light and lovely and um so he'd come in and do his bit and then he'd go away and we'd do all these sort of dark harrowing things and he'd come back and it'd be romantic comedy time again and <laughs> we'd get to the pharmacy and just do karaoke you know so it was um yeah but also when we you know when there are the more dramatic scenes he was just brilliant and he does this thing constantly of sort of underplaying his acting work and always saying like well he's not an actor and you know or you know he's only doing this for you know because I don't know, he was just very kind of ridiculously humble. Um, and he's so good and so truthful and so funny. Um, but so in those, you know, in those darker moments, equally brilliant, um, which just goes to prove that comedians are the best actors, I think. Well, I don't want to undersell your work either. I think you were absolutely <laughs> extraordinary in this movie. And to quote uh, Ryan Bo Burnham's character in this movie, I too want to buy you a bicycle. So <laughs> I accept. <laughs> Emerald, Carrie, I really cannot thank you both enough for your time. Uh, the movie is called Promising Young Woman. It is now finally, finally, my God, finally being released January 15th on digital for people to watch. And I, too, cannot wait for the rest of the world to get a chance to experience what I've been holding on to for over a year now at this point, uh, which is that this is one of the best films of the year. So to both of you, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you, Matt, for your, like, unbelievable diehard support of this film. It's amazing. It's just really kind. Um, You're, like, at the forefront of every, like, kind 
tweet. <laughs> it's just really amazing. Thank you. Really that, that means that means a lot to me. Thank you. Thank you so much. It really does. It's a huge, huge lot to us. Thank you. Absolutely. This movie inspires great conversation, and I can't wait for everyone to talk about it. So have a great Thank rest you. of your day. Bye. <laughs> you too. Bye. 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 Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to my interview with Emerald Vanell and Carrie Mulligan for Promising Young Woman here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. If you want to leave us a review, head on over to Apple Podcasts and rate us five stars and drop us a comment and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get exclusive podcast content from us. Promising Young Woman is currently available to rent or purchase on digital through Focus Features. Thank you so much for listening as always, and we shall see you all next time. Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.